Well, you know what? I'm excited about today's message. One, because we were going to do it last week, and we instead focused our time together uh, on looking at communion. See if our computers are going to cooperate or... Sorry about this. Technology is great when it works, right? And if it doesn't work, we're not going to make a big deal. I'll give it one try. There we go. Yay. Excellent. Apparently my computer was tired and it wanted to go to sleep. Don't follow its example, please. Let's avoid that. As I was saying, one of the joys we have as a church family is we are diverse. Because in our very name is international. If our first name is Alliance, uh, which basically means we're part of the global Christian and Missionary Alliance family, which, by the way, if you're curious as to what that might mean, starting next week, right here, we're going to spend six weeks examining what it means to be part of the Chinese Christian and Missionary Alliance and the worldwide Christian and Missionary Alliance, and also what it means to be a member of a church. Why is membership, why is committing to a body of believers such an integral part of how we grow together? So that's That's what we're going to do every Sunday for the next six weeks uh, right here in this room. The series itself is called The Fourfold Gospel uh, because when our founder back in 1887 was uh, coming up with uh, things that he felt for his church, which uh, at the time he was moving out of um, one area, one movement into another, and he was committed to exalting God through Jesus Christ in all things. And he began to explain to anyone that would listen that we have to remember that Jesus Christ is our savior. It is he who came to save us. We do not save ourselves. That is Jesus Christ is our sanctifier. He sets us apart to be holy, to live holy lives in the world we find ourselves in. Jesus Christ is our savior, our sanctifier, our healer. He heals our spiritual brokenness and he can heal our physical needs, our emotional needs and all of those needs. He doesn't always do it in the way we would expect him to, but he is nonetheless our healer and he is our coming king. He didn't leave us here to forever figure it out on our own. He gave us the Holy Spirit to depend on and he will return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth at the right time. So that's a very quick summary of what we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks uh, during our discipleship class hour. But I would love to have all of you join that are not currently enjoying uh, the great teaching going on in the James class. But that brings me up to the fact that as a global movement of worshipers around the world, we're different. How do I know we're different? Because when I moved into Hong Kong a few years ago or a few years back, uh, I remember the first time, the first day that everybody in the church kind of left us alone in Wampo. We lived just over here at Laguna Verde. So theoretically, everything should be pretty easy for us. We were right next to where I worked. Our child was very young. So, you know, everything was new. But I remember after a week, we realized that you could only eat McDonald's so many times. But it was the only thing in Hong Kong we knew to eat that we could afford because the only other Western food we saw was Outback, which wasn't very good and the service was atrocious. 
I just don't even hide how I feel about it at this point. And then we had the hotel, and well, clearly we couldn't eat there every day. So we're like, what do we do? How do we learn how to eat local? We felt like outsiders. And then we discovered chow fan. <laughs> and then I discovered shasu fan. And then later on, I discovered Shinzo chow mine. And all was good in the world. But that took 10 years. And I don't speak Cantonese. My English sounds funny to most of you because I speak American English. And most of you speak vari variations of that. And even if I'm from America, it sounds different. And when we first moved here, we were dealing with all of these differences. But I remember coming in and thinking that all of a sudden, at this point, we were still meeting upstairs. When we got upstairs, we were all part of the same family that all the things that marked us as being oh so different were the things that made it miraculously, the, the miraculous that we are part of the family of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And so I'd invite you to open your Bibles to this. We're going to start in verse 11. And I'm going to go through a lengthy passage. And then we're going to look at this idea of being an outsider and what it means for the church to consider a world where people are displaced by the millions. They're called refugees. They're called um, internally displaced citizens. They're called all sorts of different t titles. But there are people that are outsiders wherever they find themselves. And what is the church's role in helping love the, them and helping care for them and even considering a globalized city like Hong Kong? How do we approach it? And we'll talk about that. But I want us to make sure that our focus is first, understanding the heart of the gospel message here. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the, human, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Here's one of those great statements in all of the Bible. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. We pray for world peace. If you've ever watched a, a beauty pageant, everybody, every con contestant wants world peace. Well, here it is. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jew and Gentile, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. If you're reading along in your Bible or in your digital device, underline that bit. That is so important. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the same one Spirit. 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. Lord, as we consider your word, oops, I ask that we would focus on who you are and who you've called us to be as your people that our hearts would be attentive to you, that our hands would be open to those around us that have great need, that need to know they're not alone, that they are valued, they are cared for, and they are loved. Lord, most of all, I just pray that you would speak mightily, that my words would be few, and that you would touch our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and transform how we see the world we find ourselves in. In your name I pray. Amen. So to continue on, as I said, when we first moved here, as for many of you, if you were not born in Hong Kong, when you moved here, you had adjustments to make. Things like, if you moved here as an adult, where do I buy groceries and why do the groceries look so different from what I'm used to? No matter where you're from, if you've moved in here from another spot, it's different. I'm from the land where a grocery store takes up what's here, a city block. And here the grocery store was the size of this room. Uh, I came from a land where our milk is always very fresh, and here it was in a box. I didn't understand that. There were all these differences. And then as I got used to it, uh, this is shown in a video that I'll tell you about. We're not going to watch, but I began to get this question. Have you ever had this question? Where are you from? I hate that question. I grew up as a, a pastor's kid. And so for me, where am I from meant I had to decide to tell them where I was born, where I'd lived the longest, where my sports team loyalties were where my parents were at the current time, and all of those were different things. I don't know where I'm from is the safest answer. As of this summer, based on where I've lived the longest, I'm from Hong Kong. There's one problem with that. I don't look like I'm from Hong Kong. Did you notice? It's hard to miss, is it not? So we begin to ask this question, where are you from? And then we would travel back home to America, and you know what our American friends would ask us? How's life in Japan? (laughs) And I would respond to them, I don't know, I've not been there. And they would look at me quite confused, and they said, anyway, uh, geographically we were a bit challenged at certain times. But that question, where are you from, carries a lot of baggage, Uh, When we first started youth ministry here, we uh, had a guest come in with us. And I looked at our youth group. There was about 20 in the youth group uh, on that Sunday. And this was early on. And I said, tell us all. uh, And I made the mistake. And I only made that mistake with the youth group once. But I said, tell us your name, something about yourself, and then where you're from. Because we're from. And you know what? Even though in the room we were predominantly 
Asian-based as a youth group, every single one of them told us they were from different countries than what we would have expected. We had Canadians in the room. We had British in the room. We had South Africans in the room and Kiwis and Aussies and Welshmen and mainland Chinese. And the interesting thing I discovered that day was that not a single student told us that they were from Hong Kong. To them, all of them, all 20, not a single one of them said Hong Kong was home. And I thought, wow, what a cool place to live where nobody wants to be here. But in reality, what it meant was I got to come into a place where we are brought together from all over and from all sorts of different experiences and we get to walk through life together. And I think that's a tremendous benefit. I love living in Hong Kong, especially now that it's cooler. But just as, the, as much as I would love if God put us in a place like Canada, again, happy Thanksgiving, where there are distinctives there. Or if I was in New Zealand, there would be distinctives there. When I go to the mainland, there are distinctives there. How is this possible? Well, I want us to look today as we dive in to a very serious subject at the fact that we often spend a lot of time asking where you're from and forget to consider perspective. Uh, a lady named, oops, let me back up a second. Well, you can fill it in in your notes and we'll go on right away. But maybe the better question to ask, Taya Alisi, a writer and a speaker, said, what if we stopped asking where you're from? She's a Ghanaian that grew up in the UK and now her citizenship is in the United States. So where is she from? She said, what if we just asked, where are you a local? Where are the people that you walk and you do life with? And she began to ask us if we would consider that. And I would say, well, let's, let's keep that in mind, that idea of where are you a local, and then consider what God's word teaches us about this idea of foreigners, exiles, aliens. And the word I'm going to use today, because I think it's in English the best use of the term for us, and that's sojourner. So if you're reading from an English Standard Version Bible today, you'll see sojourner. And the NIV that we use uh, says it as uh, foreigner, and that's fine. But we're looking at this idea of immigration and what that looks like as it shapes our world and what God has us to learn from his heart for all people. And we've got to start at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. Because God said, these are his words, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now here's the thing. Before I give you the answer, if you're following along in the sermon notes and you want to know what the blank is, um, we get really caught up in all the things that make us different from others. If it's at work, we have one opinion, our boss or our employees have another, and so therefore we come to blows. If it's family, they did this or they did that, or how dare they do this or that, and we come to blows. Or you don't understand me because your culture is different than mine, and so we begin to mark ourselves by what? By our differences. 
But the thing I notice right here in this scripture is very interesting. Then God said, let us make mankind. If you're more comfortable, you can say humankind. Women were included in this here. So it wasn't that God in all of his glory made some humans and the others were just accidentally poofed. God made humanity. What does that mean for us? Well, it's pretty simple. We are all God's creation. So if you follow your family tree long enough, we all end up at the same spot. We have to start there when we consider to look at the world we find ourselves in today. God made humanity on purpose. He gave humanity the choice to live according to their own fleshly sinful desires rather than his. But he is our creator. And we must see each other. We must see those around us, those foreigners, those immigrants, those sojourners, not as problems to be solved, but as neighbors, as brothers, as sisters, as people to be loved. Because God is our creator and he made all of us. So here's the problem. There's a rub. Early on, the people began to be proud of themselves for how wonderful wonderfully artistic and creative and brilliant they were. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, I want you to focus there, so that we may make a name for ourselves. This, uh, in, in just short form, is the story of the Tower of Babel. And what was going on in the Tower of Babel was not a people seeking to be unified for the glory of God, to show the world what it looks like to work together. They were seeking to glorify themselves. They were seeking to show off how great they were. And essentially they said, we will make our way to heaven and we will get there on our own. And so God in his wisdom did something that to me is quite confusing. He scattered the people. He broke up their languages. Hence, we have different languages today. He moved them across all over the world. Hence, we have people from all over the earth. And it's amazing. But the base issue can be clearly illustrated if you remember what Paul taught us. And this goes back all the way to the beginning. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned. All have sought to make a name for themselves rather than to bring glory to the name of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that we were invited to live in and to bask in and to enjoy for all eternity. The Westminster Catechism, Catechism, the chief end of man, is to know God and enjoy Him forever. But the problem is we fall short and we've done it from the beginning. But there's more. All are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So on our own, we know that we're not so different from one another because of two things. First, God made us. 
He is our creator. It was on purpose that he made humanity. He did it according to his great plan. But he also gave us free will enough to allow us to choose our own path. And in so doing, we chose as humanity to sin and we fall short. And every human that is born from the begin- since that first fall of Adam and Eve happened falls short, chooses to sin, except one. And that one human that was born is Jesus Christ. And through him, we can be saved, redeemed, repaired, and restored for all time to enjoy God's glory forever, which is what we were made for in the first place. It always starts and ends at the same spot. We, uh, if you remember the, the famous line that came out of Rick Warren, you were created for God's glory or made for his purposes, but we were made to glorify God. The best way to live is in his glory. But that means we have to be willing to trust that his way is better. That means we have to be willing to look around at creation around us and understand that we are in this together. And that those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, we may differ on some things, but in this journey, we've got to make our gains, our desires, our ambition second to making sure we are seeking the glory of God in all things, in everything we do. It's why when someone asks me, how do you try to get people to go into full-time ministry as a pastor? And I say, well, I encourage every single person in our church family to be involved in full-time ministry. Ministry is basically serving God vocationally. And they say, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, you know who has the greatest access to the world around them? Those that are out there living in the world as followers of Jesus Christ. If you walk into your place of work tomorrow and you sit next to somebody that knows, that does not yet know Jesus Christ, praise God for the opportunity that he has given you. If you walk into work tomorrow and you sit next to a brother or sister in Christ that is really struggling being a Christian, yet seeing the world treat them in a way that they don't feel comfortable with, Praise God that we can encourage them in that, reminding each other that we all fall short, but God gave us grace, so can't we give that grace away to others? You see how understanding who God is, our creator, understanding that we are not all there is, helps us live in a world that's in desperate need of hope because we're in this together. And God provided an answer for us. And that answer started all the way back with what's called the Abrahamic covenant. Mike, what does that mean? Those are big words with a name in there. Okay, fancy term. God made a promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, out of you, I will make my people. And then he was explaining a bunch of things about what the chosen people, they weren't yet called Israel, that came later. Right now, they were the chosen people. Wouldn't that be kind of cool to walk around? We are a chosen people. Oh, wait, we read at our call to worship that that's us now, those who believe in Jesus Christ. So remember, the Bible is consistent. And in the beginning, God begins 
to enact his redemptive plan. And he said, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. In other words, God is for his people. He always has been. He always will be. But here's the thing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Israel was to be set apart as a holy people, showing the world a better way to live. A way to live that meant bringing glory to God rather than seeking our own ambition. A way to live that said we are unified in worshiping the one true God. You shall have no other gods before me. Showing the people there's a better way to live by eating the right diet that's healthier for you, that's holy, that you don't have to kill your children in sacrifice. These were things that were done. Offering human sacrifices to appease gods that were just fake wooden or carved idols. And God, from this point, says, I will bless people through you and through how you choose to follow me. What does that teach us today? Mike, that was all the way back in Genesis. That's a lot of millennia ago. Well, you see, the thing is, if we believe what God's word teaches and that God's word is consistent and you go all the way toward the end of your Bibles to where we read our call to worship, you come to 1 Peter chapter 2 that says, you are a royal priesthood, a what? A chosen people. And who is he referring to now? Not just those that are from Hebrew Abrahamic descent, but all those who would call on the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are adopted into the family of God. And in so doing, God's chosen people have a chosen calling, and that is to bless the nations. It's pretty simple when you think about it. Wherever we are, we are to be a blessing to those around us, to the world around us. We are to pray for the renewal of the cities we find ourselves in. Isaiah taught us that. We are to be light in dark times. Jesus calls us that time and again. How do we bless the nations? By showing them there is a better way to live. And the better way to live is through Jesus Christ not on our own, not for selfish gain, but trusting that if we are fallen, which look around the world, it's pretty easy to see we are a fallen people. But there's hope, there's answers, and there's a better way. And we, as the believers of Jesus Christ, as the, in the Apostles' Creed, it's called the One Holy Catholic Church. If that confuses you, you can replace Catholic with universal. The global church are called together to bless the nations, to be light in these dark times. Wherever you find yourself being a local, you're called to stick out by how you live as holy lives. But that's not all. We also understand that in a time in history where right now there are over 13 million refugees that are ending up as foreigners in countries not their own. That's a staggering number, 13 million. Another 33 million have been displaced in their own homeland. 
so they might live in one nation, but because of war, because of famine, because of disease, they are displaced and they are homeless, essentially. They have no place to call home. You put those figures together, and that's 46 million conservatively people that have no place to call home, that are sojourners, that are travelers in a land that no longer feels like their own. Well, what does that mean for us, Mike? That's a big problem. I read about the Syrian crisis every day and what can we do? We can look to the word of God and ask him to guide us as we consider the reality that right here in Hong Kong, right now, we have upwards of 9,000 people seeking asylum. Now, some of them might be for selfish gain, but our job isn't guess motives. Our job is to walk alongside people and to not mistreat or oppress a foreigner. For you yourselves, God is reminding the people of Israel that he was the one that delivered them as slaves out of Egypt. It was he that saved them and he's reminding them, look, you were a slave. I told you that was going to happen. It did happen. You need to remember what that was like and how you treat other people. So if we move ahead all these millennia to now, what's that mean for us? Well, let's look at it another way. It means for us that we are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves are foreigners in Egypt. God does not want us, the people of God, to forget our heritage. Because that same concept of slavery that reminds us that the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt reminds us that we, before we believed on Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, were slaves to sin. But when our lives were given to Jesus Christ, when he came in, when he transformed us, when he forgave and renewed us, the old was gone. Behold, we were dead to sin and made alive in Christ Jesus. We have been made new. And in the newness, we are called to live differently in the world that says we are to love those who are foreigners. Now, I love it because I get to stand up here and look around this room. And I've been paying attention this morning and I look in almost every row. I can name people that have a different passport from someone else in your row. So you know what that means in really practical terms? That in almost every row here, there is one of you that feels like a foreigner to the rest of you. Now, nobody's willing to look across their rows because they all want, they're all uncomfortable right now. So in this church, in this room right now, there's a good chance you are sitting next to a foreigner. Or maybe you're a foreigner along with them. Case in point, I was riding Star Ferry the other day. Love riding Star Ferry. It's so much fun because there's so many foreigners. And I happened to sit next to a, sit behind a a group of young ladies that were enjoying the selfie stick. Do you know what a selfie stick is? It is the bane of our existence. I hate them. I do not like a selfie stick. But what I do like is when selfie sticks are used right in front of me. Because I am a foreigner and I stick out when I travel. I have red hair and very white skin. And so these three lovely ladies from somewhere nearby this area were taking pictures with their selfie stick. And when they go back and look at those pictures, they will see all sorts of my face. (laughs) Because they were right in front of me, and so I was... Or... 
because it was right there and I had nothing else to do. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I can bring some laughter into their lives when they're done. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this journey together across the very dirty, polluted waters of Victoria Harbor. Harbor so let's laugh about it. I hope that's the attitude they take. Otherwise, they're looking at a foreigner thinking he does not fit in. But the thing is, we're called to enjoy life in the presence of God that he gave us through his Holy Spirit by the work of Jesus Christ. And we're called to love others. And that has two parts to it. There are, in a very real way, so many right here in Hong Kong that are suffering that are lonely. Let's take, for instance, if you, look in a hou- if you live right now in a housing complex, how many of your neighbors do you know? Do you know their stories? Do you know what they might be dealing with right now? I'll never forget, other than waving at our next door neighbor at Laguna Verde, we didn't get to have a real conversation or even share tea together until they locked themselves out. It was the greatest thing that could have happened to our relationship because they needed a place to sit. Do we know those around us? Do we seek to love those that are maybe feeling so lonely in one of the most densely populated cities in all the world? People tend to think that because there's so many people here, someone else is caring for you. It's one of the great myths of uh, urbanization that the more we cram people in, the less lonely a society is. And I illustrate that quite simply. Uh, I have a a child that is uh, preparing for adolescence and I'm not very pleased about it. But that child was sharing with me that she was lonely. And I said, how come you were lonely? You were with a bunch of your friends. And she said, well, the minute they got into the car, every one of them pulled out their phone and they were all playing their own games and nobody actually talked to each other. And dad, you won't give me a phone, so I was on my own. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you're not getting a phone for that very reason. Learn to communicate, woman. But that's the society we find ourselves in. A bunch of strangers. So how is the church to respond or to love those who are foreigners? And then we we move on to the scripture reading we had not so long ago. Consequently, you are, what? No longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. Now, the great thing is about the tense there means historically, have been, will be, continue to be. Foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and even the prophets that went before them with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. I am not a professional builder, but one thing I know because I've read this passage and others that talk about being a cornerstone is that the cornerstone holds it all together. We don't figure out each other on our own. We are brought together through the wonderful cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we needed to make sure we understood communion last week. Because it is Jesus that brings us together. It is Jesus that gives us like-mindedness in an era of brokenness where everybody wants to be proud of how different they are and we have to accept them. We have to love them as God's creation. And we invite them into a freeing relationship with Jesus Christ. You're no longer foreigners and strangers. 
You're a people that need to be cared for. We care for the sojourner. We love the traveler. We look around for those that need someone. I told you you're going to hear this a lot from me these days. We care for those that just need someone to walk alongside them. Have you ever gone on a long hike or bike ride or drive? Uh, If you're from other parts of the world, road trips are considered fun. I don't understand you people that think that. Locking yourself up in a vehicle for that amount of time is miserable in my world. But what happens is those trips are always made better by what? Other people, right? Like if, if you're in your 20s, it's a rite of passage in many countries that you go on a road trip or you go on a backpacking through Europe journey where you find yourself. And when you often go on those journeys, what makes it so special is the people along the way that walked alongside you. When I get to talk to Christians about their spiritual lives, you know what I hear most about? The people that were with you along the journey. You know what people hear about from me when I go back to America, which I guess is technically my home, although I doubt I'll ever live there again, or at least not for a while. But what they want to hear is about the people. And I tell them stories of those that have walked alongside us, those that go with us on our journey, those that have cared for us even though we're an outsider. And then you take a look at those statistics that I shared with you earlier and you consider 46 million people in the world are needing a home of some sort. And I'm not naive enough to say that in our congregation of 200 people this morning, we can sort this all out. There are political issues that are bigger than us. There are financial issues that are bigger than us. But there is an invitation to respond to the Bible in how we live with those foreigners among us and respond to the situation we see happening in the world. And it starts in Galatians 3.28 when we understand that we are in this together. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if we start there, we're on a good track. If we who believe in Jesus Christ understanding he is the only way to God. And if we join together with the rest of our world, one of the things that the local churches, the local church community of international and local churches in Hong Kong is doing in the month of October is they want each pastor in their church, and I'm going to do it today and I will highlight it every Sunday this month, is each week we want to encourage our church families to pray for the poor, specifically the poor in Hong Kong. If the government is to be trusted, and I'm not making commentary there, but in their statistics, roughly upwards of 30% live in poverty right here in Hong Kong. Okay, so if that's 7 million people, well, 30% of that is a lot that are struggling with poverty and that are feeling like an outsider with little or no hope, let alone if we consider orphans that have no family, that are desperate for a home. And we begin to see that in Christ Jesus, the church unified is much greater than the church divided arguing with itself. Correct? 
It's pretty simple logic. I love that uh, Paul helped us understand the greatness of God's love and the logic of it. But then Peter adds, and this is the verse I've referred to earlier and at the beginning of the service, there's another thing we are called to do as we address the issue of the sojourner, the refugee, the displaced. We are to abstain from sinful desires. Who? As foreigners and exiles yourselves. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that in a world where all fall short of the glory of God, those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are now a foreigner in a broken world. We are an exile in a broken world. We will be brought back when Christ returns. But for such a time as this, we're walking through life knowing that this is not our eternal home. That's good news. But we're invited to bring others in. How do we bring others in? Well, we're called to live such good lives among the pagans, those that have not yet heard the name of Jesus Christ, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If we went into each other's places of work and homes, would the non-Christian look at how we treat one another and treat others and say, that's different. It's the kind of life I need. There's reasons for how they act. They, they, they don't always agree, but somehow they, they're loving each other. I need that in my life. How do I get that? Well, you see, God's people have a very specific purpose. And it's pretty simple. We're to live holy lives together to show the world who God is. And that goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, even to Adam and Eve themselves. We are called to show people the right way to live through Jesus Christ that points people to the glory of God and says there is so much more to this life than getting caught up in petty differences. There is a God who loves you. There is a God who in his perfect timing will make all things new and will restore all this and invites you in to eternity with him into a life of meaning and purpose that is bigger than whether or not your next paycheck comes from point A or point B. And he says, you Christians have a responsibility to live lives in such a way that when they see how you treat one another and how you live in this world, they cannot help but give glory to God, our Father who is in heaven. We are called to holy lives. Now we can't do that on our own and we talked about this last week so I won't camp out long here. But that means daily surrender. There's a, a song that's gotten popular in Christian circles right now called The White Flag and it means I raise the white flag of surrender every day saying, Lord, Here's my life. Do with it what you want. I surrender to you because for the first time, I'm, or maybe the millionth time, I'm going to trust that your way is better than my logic. I'm going to trust that faith in you will get me to where I need to be because you know the end of the story and you know all the pieces in the middle, and I do not. I'm going to trust in you because... You are worthy to be trusted in. You are dependable, unchangeable, and eternal. 
And I'm going to trust in you because there is hope in you. And I cannot fix this world on my own. And so I am going to seek to trust in you and to trust your Holy Spirit to open up your word to me, to teach me how to live, to teach me how to live with that difficult person in my life, to teach me how to help that foreigner that might be next door or that might be in another country. And I'm going to respond to the stirring you've placed on my heart, wherever I'm from. But, oh yeah, I'm going to make sure I do it with my family. I'm going to make sure I do it with the body of believers, not just here at AIC, but here in Hong Kong and here globally. And I'm going to do all I can to not let everybody know how AIC is different from this church or that, but how we are together seeking to bring glory to God so that people see our lives unified together and rejoice. And so I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to wash me and to guide me and teach me. And I'm going to live in his power, not my own, regardless of the circumstances. Why? Well, here's why. I forgot. I meant to bring my passport today to show you, not to take pictures of. You don't need to steal my passport. But I have an American passport that is arguably one of the most valuable passports to carry around in your back pocket in the world because it gets you access to a whole lot of the world, right? There's a whole lot of the world because my passport says United States of America. Not that it's the greatest country in the world, but they have a lot of money and have a lot of treaties that therefore we can walk into a country without a visa and get in and enjoy benefits of that. But you know what? My American passport, as great as it is, is, as it is, is nothing compared to where my citizenship truly lies. Because my citizenship lies with all of you who would call in the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord. The only way to God, our Father who art in heaven, and our citizenship is there. Because you know what? My country might elect Donald Trump to be their president next year, so we do not have it all figured out. Okay? <laughs> Let's just admit that. But we eagerly await a savior, a leader, a king from heaven who's coming back, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I don't even understand what that's going to look like. When youth group members used to ask me, Mike, what do you think it means that your body is going to be transformed? My answer was always the same. I'm going to be taller. (laughs) But in much more glorious truth, it means where I'm from is heaven. Where I get to live for all eternity is the restored heaven and earth, the way God things made were made to be. And he is returning. Look, it says it right there will transform our lowly bodies. He's coming back. And in his great transformative power, will restore old things and make them new for all those who would believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So what does that mean for us? It means that we are to remember where we're from and where we're headed. Where we're from, we are God's creation made in his image. All of humanity. 
made in his image. Where are we headed? Those in Christ Jesus are headed to an eternity with him for all eternity. Those that have not met Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the truth is they will suffer eternal damnation in hell. And that is real. It is a very real part of the gospel message. So while we are here on earth, not only should we know where we're from and where we're headed, but should we, would, we are called to bring other people in. We are called to bring people to the glory of God through how we live our lives. I can give a slick sales pitch on the gospel, but you know what's going to transform a heart more? The Holy Spirit working in how I live my life and inviting others to see that. I am not perfect. And I am being made more like Jesus every day. That's my prayer every morning. Lord, shape me and refine me a little bit more like your son today than I was yesterday. As I journey, because I am a sojourner, I am an alien, but I'm not alone in this world. So when we consider the global crisis of refugees, when we consider the global crisis of orphans and widows needing just someone to care for them, when we consider the global crisis of people that are displaced and are lonely and alone, we have a response. We have a response to help by love. And what does that look like? Well, it's pretty simple. First, you got to care. We can open up the front page of our newspaper or Google News or however you get news if you read it at all and understand that all over the world there are major crises happening. That is no surprise. There is poverty in Hong Kong. There is poverty north of the border. There is poverty south of the border. Wherever we find ourselves, there are real problems. The first thing we have to do is get ourselves informed. And then I want to invite you to do something beyond that, not just care, oh, that's too bad that this is happening. But ask yourselves and ask those around you, how might I get involved? If you're part of a community group, well done, I expect you to be. If you're new to our church, have I told you about community groups? They're a great way to grow together and walk together, all these things we've been talking about. But how might you get involved? For instance, did you know there is... um, Is it ICC in Jordan, Lori? We used to go there. I see. Okay, there's letters. And there is a wonderful ministry in Jordan, not the country, the district, just walking distance from here that reaches out to Nepalese and other areas from around that area. I'm sorry, my mind has gone blank. ICM, thank you. You know why she knows? Because I took her. (laughs) ICM. We can go get involved and help them and care for those kids that just need somebody to love them. You consider, where is God already at work and how can I help? We got to care about the needs around us. Second, we got to connect. Because you know what happens in churches? We all think that we have to be the Messiah ourselves and fix everything on our own. The world is way too big for that. So what do we do? I'm sorry, I, I didn't finish connect. We look around at our neighbors. Oh, but Mike, who is my neighbor? 
Funny you should ask. Did you know the neighbor in the story of the Good Samaritan was a Samaritan? He was a foreigner. (laughs) And he's who helped. God knows what he's doing when he teaches us. And he says, everyone around you is your neighbor. Go get connected with people. You might not speak the same language as them. There's a good chance you don't. One of my friends from Australia posted a thing on how to speak Australian English the other day. I understood none of it. And it seemed really silly to me. But that's just me. Sorry, Mark. We may not speak the same language, but we worship the same God. And there are those among us that have not yet heard who Jesus is. And we are invited to walk with them along that journey. You can have a relationship with somebody just by helping them out. You might not speak the same language, but who knows what God could do when you trust the Holy Spirit rather than figuring it out on your own. And then finally, you cooperate with others around you. Where is God working? ICM. There's one here. There's one in the Philippines. There are groups like, you know, you may not believe everything that they stand for, but groups like Oxfam that seek to give resources, money to the poor. And so maybe the only way you can help is to raise money to help them. You know what? If we are helping poor, that is a good thing. World Vision seeks to help bring hope to poor and displaced all over the world. Compassion does the same. And there are groups right here in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Society for the Poor, I believe is its name, is working hard to bring poverty awareness to this area. And that includes understanding there are refugees and foreigners among us that need help. More than just money, they need a home and they need somebody to care about who they are and what's going on in their lives. And as we do that, as we become active in what's going on in the world around us, God will give us more and more opportunities to use His resources for His glory to help those in need. Notice I didn't say your resources or your glory. That's what got the Tower of Babel people so wrong. They were building a name for themselves. If you're part of an organization with tremendous wealth, how can that wealth be used to help people in need? whether that's spiritual need, physical need, material need, whatever it is, God can use you in mighty ways to help. Maybe you don't have finances, but you have love and time. And you can walk alongside somebody and care for them and let them know that they are not alone. And you can go serve in a homeless shelter. You can go serve. You realize one of the biggest homeless shelters in in, where do we live right now? Hong Kong is McDonald's. And I finish with this, the most sad reality of our week. Last weekend, a woman spent the entire night dead at a table in McDonald's. She had been homeless. She had died in her sleep because that was the only place she could get relief from the environment around her. And no one noticed for what was it, 12 hours? Seven hours. No one noticed. We think foreigners, aliens, exiles are everywhere else. But they might be sitting right next to you. And they might need a reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Or they might just need a warm place to put their head for a little while and rest. What would we do? The gospel is very simple.
We are to care. We're to connect with our neighbor. And we're to cooperate with others all in the name of the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, it's hard to see a world that's broken. It's hard to see how often we say how different we are. And yet, feel so helpless that we can't help. But your word is so clear that we are invited to help right where we are. That you've placed us here as your creation for such a time as this. So God, please, by your great grace, open our eyes to the needs around us, whatever they might be. And don't let go of our hearts till we have fought for reconciliation in the lives of others, whatever that might look like. That we have fought for hope in the lives of others. That we have fought for proper care in the lives of others. Out of obedience to your word, out of seeking your glory and seeking to show others there's a greater way to live. Lord, you cared for the exile and the alien and the foreigner by giving us your son. Would our lives be marked by that kind of sacrifice ourselves? In your name, amen.